Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. First off, I, I want to thank everybody who came out tonight. Man, there's a lot more people here this week than there was last week. I'm not really sure exactly how many. Um, but, man, I'm just super grateful, man, that y'all would take the time out of your Saturday night just to come here. And, man, I, I really believe that when we come into a place like this together and, and, and we sit down in a place like this and, and we open our ears to actually listen to what God has to say to us, that a transformation takes place in our life. That we don't just come to sit in a building because we think that's the Christian thing to do, but we come into this building because we want something different with our life. And so I, I want to challenge everybody in this place tonight that, that don't make this something that you just check off of your list so that you feel more Christian-like by sitting in this feet, but actually open your hearts and say, God, you know what? You're, you use even broken vessels that even me, I'm not perfect, I'm not I don't get it right all the time, but God wants to use broken vessels and speak through people to, 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 to challenge you to grow in your walk and just to completely change your life. So I, I want to ask you to open your ears tonight and to lay aside what you think God might want to say to you or how you think God wants to speak to you and just say, God, however you want to speak to me tonight, like have your way with me. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 starting out with verse 7. But just a quick recap, um, last week we started our, our series, the I Am series, and we talked about the first I Am statement in the Gospel of John chapter 4 and how Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. And we talked about how, how the Messiah is the Savior of the world, but he didn't just come into the world to save us from the penalty of our sin, but he literally came into the world to save us from our sin. And we talked about what that means and that, you know, a lot of us, we just, we just want to escape the penalty of sin. But God is saying, man, no, I got so much more for you than just you escaping the penalty of sin. I literally want to save you from your sin. And that God is a God of process and that layer after layer after layer, God will continue to do a work on you. The more we, we, we allow him to, to uh, come into our hearts and allow him to challenge us and to speak to us, that God will remove things from us layer after layer. And we talked about the woman at the well and three things we talked about from the from the text about the woman at the well, that Jesus is intentional about meeting us where we are. And Jesus came to the woman at the well in a place that Jews had no business being in and actually brought his disciples into into Samaria when Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And we talked about why that was. Why did Jesus go out there? Because he had an appointment with this woman. And Jesus meets us where we are. And Jesus met me in a motel room with a trash bag of clothes, a needle, and a spoon. It was never in a church building. Like, this is the result of Jesus meeting me where I am. And so I'm here to tell you in this room today, if you come in this room and you're like, man, like I'm not good enough for God. I'm not good enough to, to come in here and worship God or, or even think about giving my life to him. Like, Jesus wants to meet you where you are. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your guilt, of your shame, or whatever it is that you're struggling with. He'll get to that. And uh, the second thing we talked about is Jesus deals with the sin problem. He revealed, the, the, he revealed her sin to her, 
not just because he wanted to deal with the sin, but because he wanted to deal with the shame. And we talked about how it's impossible to invite Jesus into our hearts and to, 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 to have a conversation with God without him wanting to deal with the sin. Why? Because he's the savior of the world. He doesn't want to just save you from the penalty of sin, but he literally wants to save you from your sin. I grew up down the street. I went to school here. I sat in this cafeteria. And everybody in my neighborhood was Christians. Everybody confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, and were Christians, but they all shot dope. They all gangbanged. They all robbed. Why? Because they only desired uh, to, to, be, to be saved from the penalty of sin and not to literally be saved from this sin. And I believe right now in this season, I can see it just sitting in this room, how many lives God is already impacting in this neighborhood and how, how many people from this neighborhood that I grew up gangbanging, robbing and, and shooting dope with and selling dope with and getting high with. I already got probably two handfuls of friends in this room that are saying, man, God has got something more for me. And I just don't want to escape the penalty of sin, but I want to literally be saved from my sin. Man, and, it, and, and it's, it's scary sometimes. We invite God. We start to have a conversation with him, and he'll start to say, man, I want you to give me that right there. You're like, ooh, hold on. I don't, I don't want to give that away. You know what I mean? But, man, Jesus, is, he wants to deal with the sin problem, man. He wants to free you, save us from our sin. His ultimate goal is to restore right, right relationship with the Father. We went back to Genesis when we talked when Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. We went back to the first prophecy ever spoken about the coming Messiah. And, and we went to the to the Garden of Eden where the fall of man happened. And um, immediately after the fall of man, God comes into the garden and he finds man hiding from him. And he says, why are you hiding from me? And he said, because I felt naked. And he said, who told you that you were naked? And they asked, he asked him, did you just did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And he said, yeah. The woman you gave me made me do it. And so then he immediately cursed the serpent and he said, because of this, because you have done this, you will grovel on your belly for the rest of your life. And he said, I will cause enmity or hostility between you and the woman and your offspring and her offspring and her offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so the woman's offspring that he was speaking about was Jesus and Jesus would crush the serpent's head and restore right relationship with the father. His ultimate goal is to restore right relationship with the father. And so just like Adam and Eve in the garden, the first thing man ever experienced after diso disobeying God and allowing sin to come into our lives was shame. So that's why so many of us struggle with shame and guilt. And Jesus is saying, man, I died for that. You don't have to carry that no more. You don't have to hide from God anymore. Like God already sees your struggle. He knows exactly what you're going through. And God is wanting to restore right relationship with the father. And so all throughout scripture, we have Jesus revealed from Genesis to Revelation. All scripture points to him. All scripture comes from him. Matter of fact, all scripture is him. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, So the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He is the word made flesh. It's important for us to search the scriptures in its entirety to see Jesus' imprint 
from the beginning. So we see from the beginning of Scripture, all Scripture points to Jesus. And, and, and if we only read the New Testament and we're not actually trying to see Jesus from the beginning of, of, of the Bible, we completely miss him. And so we see Jesus in Genesis. We see uh, Jesus in Exodus and so on and so on and so on and so on. All Scripture points to Jesus. And in John, it tells us he the word became flesh and made his home among us. So Jesus is the word of God. And so we're going to start right now. We're going to last week we, 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 we read the gospel of John chapter four and we went back to Genesis chapter one and we seen Jesus in there. And so now we're going to be in, uh, in Exodus chapter three and then we're going to go to our next I am statement immediately after that. So if you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter three, some of y'all are probably already there. We're going to start with verse seven, but I'm going to kind of catch us up to this point. Um, in Exodus chapter three, we see Moses. He's tending his father-in-law's flock. And he looks over and he sees a, a, a burning bush in this burning bush. is not it's, it's 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 just burning, but it's not actually consuming and burning. And so it catches his attention. And he's like, man, wow, that's amazing. And so Moses starts to approach this bush and God tells him, don't come any closer. Take your shoes off for you are standing on holy ground. And we're going to start right there. And that's going to be in, uh, verse seven. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. He said, who am I to appear, to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And so the first verse right there, we can see in verse seven that he says, the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So God is saying he sees the oppression of his people. He hears your cries of distress and he's aware of your suffering. Immediately in verse eight, he says, tell, he says that I came down to rescue his people from the power of the Egyptians. Egypt represents our bondage, our oppression, and our suffering. So when God is saying, I see their cries, I see their oppression, and I'm aware of their suffering, and he's saying, I've came down to, to release them from the power of the Egyptians. He's saying, I see their struggles, and I'm coming down to release them from the power of the enemy. And so we have a prophetic glimpse of the coming Messiah, 
But God's saying, you know what, I'm going to come down there. See, every other religion is built off of what we might be, what we can do to maybe possibly one day make it to God or make it to heaven. Christianity is saying, no, God said, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to bridge the gap that once separated us. And I'm going to die for your sins so that you can spend eternity with me in heaven, not only just in heaven, but that you can experience freedom from your bondage right here, right now where you are. And not only am I going to set you free from that, but I'm actually going to use you to change this world, to have a domino effect, to continue to roll people into the kingdom of God. That's the beauty about Christianity. That's the beauty about the Holy Bible, because he didn't pick a perfect people to represent him. He picked the imperfect people that were willing to pursue a perfect God. And because of that, the result of that, because 12 people were willing to put their lives on the line and be drugged through the streets and be put in prison for the gospel. Me and you can sit in this room today just to hear about the good news. There had to have been something so powerful that 12 people said, I will put my life on the line for this. They had no idea that me and you were going to be in these rooms, you know what I mean? But they put their lives on the line for that. God said, I came down to bridge the gap. Verse 13, he says, who do I tell them that sent me? Verse 14, he says, I am who I am. So what is God saying when he's saying I am who I am? He's saying I'm not bound by time, that there's not just a singular character for my person, that you can't, I can't just be called one name. I am who I am, that I'm the same God that I was to Adam, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will be to David and to everybody else in this room today. God is saying I'm not bound by time. Then he tells him, tell them I am has sent me to you. The reason he says that I am is because there was way too many things that we would need in our life for him to just say he was one thing. He's the cure. He's everything that we need. He's the strength that we need. He's the peace that we need. He's the healing that we need. He's whatever it is that you came in here today that you need, that you're thinking, man, God, I'm so sick of having this anxiety. I need some freedom in my life. I need to break free from this addiction. I need to break free from this alcoholism. Whatever it is that I'm, I'm insecure, I'm, I'm suicidal. Whatever that one thing that you need, God is saying, I am exactly what you need for that. 15, he says, the God of your ancestors. He said, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. In, order, in, in other words, when you hear the words I am, you'll know that I am among you. And so when God said this, everybody would be looking for somebody, the coming Messiah, to come in and say, I am the bread of life. So we're going through the I am statements where he says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am this. I am that. So Jesus is making these kind of statements in front of the Pharisees and huge crowds of people because he's getting their attention to say, you know who God said was going to lead you out of Egypt? Like that person is right here. I am among you right now. And so Jesus would make these kind of statements in places that could have got him killed, but he wanted the people to know that I am what you need. So we're going to start in the, God, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and we'll go into our next I am statement. Quick rundown, though, of verses 1 through 15. Jesus arrives and starts healing the sick. 
And it says he steps out and he sees a huge crowd of people and he has compassion on them. So he starts to heal the, cro- heal the crowds. And then he notices when the crowds come and approach him that they're hungry. And he turns, and he turns to Philip and he's like, Philip, man, like how can, can we feed them? And Philip's like, man, even if we worked a month, we wouldn't have enough money to feed this huge crowd of people. And so Jesus finds this young boy with a loaf of bread and some fish. And he takes the bread and he, he breaks it and he multiplies it and feeds 5,000 plus people, 5,000 men, not including women. In verse 14 says that when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. So Jesus specifically performed this miracle because he wanted to reveal something to the people. And he also wanted to reveal their lack and their need for a supplier like him. When he asked Philip, he said, he said, how can we buy, where can we buy bread to feed these people? Philip's like, man, we can't, even if we work for a month, we can't provide, we will never be able to buy the food for all of these people. And Jesus wasn't asking this question because he didn't know the answer. He wanted to point out their need for him to be their supplier for everything that they need. And Jesus takes this lunch and he multiplies it and he feeds the multitude. And then he seen that they wanted to make him his king. So he breaks away from the crowd and then in, in, in all. Uh, breaks away from the crowd just to to get away from them. Verse 14 says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is a prophet. He is the prophet we have been expecting. Jesus performed miracles to reveal who he is, not just what he can do. The miracle should always lead us to the miracle worker, that whenever God starts to move in our life, it's not to just to show us what he can do for us, but he's trying to show us his character and who he is. And so when they realized that he was the prophet that they had been expecting, they wanted to try to make him their king. And so Jesus slips away from them. So Jesus goes to the other side of the lake and then his his disciples go out looking for him. They get on the boat and they start to cross the lake and a huge storm comes and they start to freak out. And then they see Jesus walking on the water and they beg Jesus to get into the boat with them. And then Jesus gets on the boat with him, and they arrive on the other side of the lake. And we're going to pick up right there in John chapter 6, verse 22. Verse 22 says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. A couple of different things I want to touch on in this text, but I'm going to keep it short for time's sake. 
um, verses 25 and 26, they come to him. They say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus reveals their true motive for seeking him and replies, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. In other words, you just want the gifts and not the one who gives, not the one the gifts point to. And all through Scripture, we see Jesus looking past the action of man and exposing the motive behind the action. And so Jesus is telling them, they're like, they're like, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he's like, you, you, you're not, you, you don't want to come here just so you can be with me. You want to come here because I fed you. And they didn't really understand the miracle that was already performed before that. And Jesus looks past the action of man and points to the motive. That's one of the first things you will start to experience when you when you finally surrender your life to Jesus and you actually start to get in your walk with God is God will start to, to reveal the motive behind every action that you do. And so we can do things. We can give a gift, but only give a gift to be seen and it be wrong. Even though our action was good, we gave a gift to somebody, but we only really did it to be seen. And God is will point out the motive behind the action. Jesus took it up a notch when he would say he would say things like this. He said, oh, it's a sin to commit adultery. He said, but man, I'm, I'm going to take it up a notch. It's a sin to even look at a woman with lust, because if a man's looked at a woman with lust, he's already committed adultery, adultery in the heart. So Jesus deals with the heart problem and not just the action. Because every one of our problems stem from a belief that we have. And so God will start to reveal a the, our belief system and show us where we're wrong and what areas in our life need to change. That's why he said the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, truth being reality. That word literally be, can be translated into reality. Verses 28 and 29, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told him, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. In other words, our work should stem from our belief in Jesus. Every outward work we do should be a natural expression of the inward work that stems from our belief in who he is. We can't earn our way to God. We can't earn the favor of God that he's saying, man, every single thing that you do should be a natural outward expression of the inward work that's taking place because you believe in me. And so some of you say, man, I don't... I don't want to be I want to be used by God, but I don't know, know where to start. God is saying, man, the only work I want from you is to believe in me. And as you believe in me, as you grow into my love, as you learn to trust me, I'll show you exactly what you were created to do. And I will equip you for exactly what I've called you to do. Verse 31, they completely missed the point again and demand a miraculous sign. They say, after all, Moses gave our ancestors manna from heaven. Verse 32, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did, and now he offers you true bread from heaven. First off, man didn't give them anything, and one of the biggest mistakes we can make is giving man credit for what God is doing. That's why we got so many people leaving churches when a, when a different pastor steps into the church, because they weren't really following God, they were following man. A true leader, a true man of God will always point you into a deeper relationship with God to rely on him and not to rely on man. It says that the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, that all of them, that their job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, not just to get you in these seats and spoon feed you. A pastor's job is to push you closer to the father's heart and closer to your mission that he has for you in life. 
And if we come and sit in these chairs every single week, if every other every person brought one more person and we doubled in size and we came and sat in these chairs, but none of us actually got busy with the mission of God, I would shut it down real quick. I don't ever want a church that ain't out being the hands and feet of God because that's what we were created to do. The church is in the building. It's a people that are sold out for the mission of God. True bread, he says. Now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven. True bread. So when he performed a miraculous sign and he fed the 5,000 people with the bread, they didn't understand what was being done. But whenever they received manna, he said Moses gave us manna. Whenever they received the manna, they weren't able to save any manna that they had to go back and get the manna every single day or else the manna would expire. And so when Jesus breaks the bread and he feeds the 5,000 people, there was 12 baskets of leftovers, and he says, gather the baskets of leftovers so that none of it would be wasted. Manna was temporary. True bread is eternal. And so what is he saying when he's got 12 baskets of leftovers? He's saying, I'm even more than what you need. I'm more than enough. That after you eat this type of bread, that you're going to have some running over to give to somebody else. That God is saying, you will not be in the lack spiritually when it comes to me. Verse 33, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We're going to jump to verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do, to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all these he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Mm. Three points that I want to touch on. Verse 35. Uh, verse 35, he satisfies spiritual hunger and thirst. See, the people came to him expecting to be fed, but Jesus is pointing past the physical hunger and revealing the spiritual hunger that's inside of them. Oh, Blaise Pascal said it this way. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. See, a lot of us spend our lives trying to fill a void inside of us, not knowing that what we're really hungry for is God. And we never really come to realize that the thing that we've been missing our whole entire life is God until we actually taste God. And then we realize that that's what has been missing our whole life. See, I spent my life chasing drugs, chasing, chasing women, chasing all these different things, robbing all of these things. I tried to continuously fill this void, not knowing that the whole entire time what I was hungry for was a relationship with the Father. So there's a God-shaped vacuum in every single man. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That word righteousness really literally means for right standing before God. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right standing before God, for they shall be satisfied. 
So what is he saying? He said, man, blessed are the people that know that they, that they need to, that they need God in their life, that they just want to be able to stand before God pure and blameless. They hunger and thirst for righteousness that they will be satisfied. That the people that are willing to say, God, I got some struggles in my life that I can't break free from, but you died on the cross for me, and I just want to overcome this sin in my life, that God says that's who will be satisfied. That money ain't going to satisfy you. Drugs ain't going to satisfy you. Sex ain't going to satisfy All these different things that we continuously try to fill the void in our life that God said that will never satisfy you. Every time you consume that, you'll walk away even more empty than when you first came to me. God is saying, man, if you just hunger and thirst for my righteousness, that it's the righteousness of Christ that we put on it when we say, God, I just want to be more like you. God, I want to be used by you that when we start to desire these things that God says, you will be the ones that are actually satisfied. That's why you can find somebody in a prison cell that's more free than we are on the streets. Because they're hungering and thirsting after God's righteousness. That's why we can find somebody who's broke down with no money at all that is struggling with an eviction notice on the door. But they're just so fired up by God. Why? Because they hunger and thirst for his righteousness. That's why all hell can be breaking loose in our lives, but we can have the joy of the Lord because we just want to please him. We are satisfied. Verse 51, my second point. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. My second point, he conquered spiritual death. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says it this way. It says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how many of y'all are actually happy that God did not that God did not just come here just to save us from the penalty of our sin and let us walk around with anxiety and shame and guilt and depression and all of these different things that God said God is literally saving us from them things and giving us the authority and the power in our lives to overcome the things that want to break us? Because what's the point? For him to come down here and just die so that one day we can be in heaven, but we have to live our whole life here miserable. How does that make any sense? That when God sees you, that God sees your brokenness and your hurts, that he literally wants to give you the world the same way my little daughter comes running up to me when she's hurt. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to grab her and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that my daughter is protected and that my daughter feels safe. He don't want to leave you like that. And I know it might hurt to go through a process of actually dealing with the things that God wants to take out of our heart and out of our life. But he's saying, man, if, if, if you're willing to just hunger for what I want for you, I promise you'll be satisfied. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, a thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I say, I came that they may have life and have life more abundantly. And so he's saying, I came to satisfy your spiritual hunger and conquer spiritual death, spiritual death. My third point, my third and final point, uh, verse 44, it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. How do we respond to that? It says, first, it's my father's will that all who see his son. So first we have to see his son. And you might came into the room and you say, man, but how do I see Jesus? 
You see Jesus in the lives of other people who have been changed by him, right? You see him in everything outside when you look at you see the work that was created. It had to have been created by somebody else other than just some kind of big bang effect that all of a sudden that nothing came from nothing. No, that God literally spoke it into existence that when you look at a gangbanger that's been transformed or you look at somebody who's been raped and molested, but they're out here and, and they're, they're free that you look at the lives of other people and you see Jesus. You see him when you look for him. The problem is a lot of us have never seen him because we've never looked for him. But if you ask him, I promise you, if you ask him, don't feel ashamed to say, God, show me that you're real. Because I promise you, you start to seek to see if he's real. He will show himself to you. And there's a point in our lives when, when the invisible becomes so evident that you can't deny it. That this invisible God can become so real It'll put you on your face. I promise you it will. That his presence become, becomes so thick that you can't even stand up, that you will tremble in fear. The love and power and electricity that will rush through your body is, is, is way greater than any high you could ever experience. It'll be undeniable, but you got to look for him. Secondly, we have to believe. He said, all who see his son and believe in him shall have eternal life. We got to believe, not believe that we're perfect, but believe, man, God, you died for me. That's it. Jesus, you died for me. We have to see, we have to believe, and then we have to receive. And a lot of us haven't really received the gift of God, the gift of salvation in our life because we don't feel worthy. So I'm going to put it to you like this. You feel like I failed. I don't deserve it. I'm a, I'm a failed mother, I'm a failed father, whatever it is that, that, that's going through your mind, the shame and the guilt that's keeping you from standing in right relationship with God. But if I came up right now and I put a million dollars on this stage and I say, here, come and take this million dollars, would you say, well, I haven't managed my money very good. I don't feel like I deserve it, right? You'd be looking for the reasons why you need this million dollars, right? My children need this money. My family needs this money. My, my grandma's got medical bills. She can't afford her medicine. You'd be finding the reasons of why you need this money to change your life. And it's the same thing with the gift of salvation. Instead of looking at what you did that don't deserve God's love, you need to look at that's exactly why you need it. That's exactly why you need to receive him and invite him into your life. See it, believe it, and receive it. And I want to take this next few minutes. We're almost out of time. we got like 10 minutes. Christ is saying that in order to belong to me, you must be willing to partake of me and accept the work that I have done so that you may have eternal life. So God is saying, in order to belong to me, you got to receive me, right? And so one of those things that we do to acknowledge this work is, is through communion. We acknowledge the work that he already did. That when he's saying that I am the bread of life, nobody really understood what he was saying when he's saying I am the bread of life. That he was literally saying that my body is going to be represents the bread that will be broke for you. Right. They didn't understand it. And at the Last Supper, Jesus sits down with his disciples right before he's crucified. And he sits down with his disciples and he breaks the bread into pieces. And he said, this bread represents my body that is broke for you. And he said, this wine represents my blood in the new covenant between God and man. 
that my blood's going to be shed on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And they didn't understand this when Jesus is standing in front of him, in front of them, and he's saying that I am the bread of life. That he was literally going to be broken so that we don't have to be broken anymore. So I want to take the time right now. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 31 says this about communion. It says, anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God this way. And so what he's saying is, there was, there was a, a, a people that when they were coming into communion, they were neglecting the fact that communion was so sacred. That the last moments that Jesus spent with his disciples and he literally explained to them that this bread, like here, eat this bread. It represents my body that will be broken for you. They didn't understand the full extent of that. And we had people coming. They had people coming into a place and they were getting drunk and they were leaving people without eating and all these different things. And he's saying, man, y'all are bringing judgment upon yourself because you're stepping on something that was so sacred. And Jesus said, man, this is this is my body that's broke for you. And I want to take I want to take the time right now. I want to take the time right now. For us just to examine ourselves and say, man, God, in what areas am I struggling right now? God, what sin that I can, what sin is there in my life that I can't break free from that you already died on the cross that your body was broken for? So he's saying when, when, when we take the bread, we need to look at ourselves and say, man, this bread represents your body that was broke for me. And what sins in my life do I need freedom from? Right? Because we're broken in some areas that God wants to heal and make whole. So we remind ourselves of just how much it cost him. Then he says that the wine represented his blood towards the new covenant between God and man. And so my heart would be today, if there's anybody in the room that you haven't made that decision and you're saying, you know what, David, like, man, I haven't made a decision to fully follow Christ. Or maybe I did, but I backslid and I ran away. Or maybe you're walking around with guilt and shame. Or, or you got some things right now that you don't know how to get off your chest and let go of. And you just say, man, David, today I just I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Man, that's, that's my heart. That each person in this room that's walking and carrying that type of burden and that type, type of shame hiding from God, that you would say, you know what? I am broken and I am Failing in this area, and I am struggling in this area, but your body was broken for me so that I don't have to live like this anymore. And that we would recognize the full extent of his gift and not just say, man, let's take up, we're going to take communion, but not, let's just not just eat a cracker and think it's just a cracker. No, it represents his body being broken so that you could be made whole. So let's bow our heads real quick. Does anybody in the room tonight you would say, man, you know what, David, I just, I'm tired of trying to get it right on my own. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of carrying this bondage. Like, I just want to surrender my life to Jesus tonight. Or maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've done that before, but you walked away from God and you say, man, tonight, I just, I just want to rededicate my life to Jesus. If there's anybody here in the room tonight and you want to make that decision, man, will you raise your hand? 
Anybody else? Can you keep your hands up real quick? Awesome. Let me, with all heads bowed right now, let me get y'all two to stand up real quick. You ain't got to come up here. Just stand up where you are. We're going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody in this room to repeat this prayer because you know what? We all, we all got something that we need, and, and I, just, I just want right now, this is what I want from y'all. I want y'all to think about that one thing that you really need Jesus for, right? Not the things that we already got figured out or we think that we might have arrived. No, we all got something. Whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness, whether it's resentment, unforgiveness, insecurity, suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety, addiction, whatever that thing is, we all got something. And I want you to think about that one thing. And we're going to thank him that his body was broken on the cross for us. We're going to say this prayer together, all of us as a church. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for dying on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I invite you into my heart and into every one of my struggles. I thank you that your body was broken for me so that I could be made whole. I thank you that your blood was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I receive everything you have for me tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We can sit down. Um, may y'all give it up for the two people who stood up. The ushers are going to pass out communion cups right now. They're going to pass out communion cups right now. They're going to go down the aisle. And then if you can just hold on to them for a second, we're going to take communion together as a church. Uh, Josh, if you can bring me one too. You know, um, it's easy to not really, to just not really grasp the, the realness of what this really means, man. And honestly, man, God just recently started dealing with me on it about what communion really means. And if you can, yeah, no, nah, you ain't got to. You ain't got to. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so um, to understand the realness of, to really grasp the reality of, of, of how sacred this is to God and that when we actually take the time to examine ourselves, that's when it becomes real. Not us just rushing to, like I said, eat a cracker and drink some juice, but like literally realizing, man, that his body was broken for us. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. 11, 23 through 26 says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. He said, this represents his body, which was broken for us. 
who received a break. It says this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which represents the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, a new covenant between God and his people. We receive the cup. If any of y'all thought that juice tastes good, y'all sin in. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> man, y'all, let's praise God for that, man. I wish I could clap, but I'm kind of handicapped right here, so I'm just going hit to the, hit the cast. Amen, amen. I just want to um, take a moment right now, man, and just, just really just... Pray over each and every person in this room. And like I said, I know everybody in here has got something that they're struggling with. And man, the enemy's been coming in left and right. And I know that things can get hard and, and, and we can be pressed on all sides. But I promise you, as long as we turn to God as our source, man, we're unstoppable. Like for real. That when we learn to rely on his strength and not ours, that we're unstoppable. And so, Father God, I just bless each and every person in this room tonight. God, I thank you so much, God, for everything that you're doing in our lives. God, I thank you for the people that took the time out of their night tonight to to be here, God, just to worship with you, God. You know every one of the things that they need, God. We know that you're the only source and the only thing that can ever satisfy them, God. And I just pray right now, Father, that you would just anoint each and every person in here. We command every chain that has been holding them back to break right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I come against anxiety right now in Jesus' mighty name. I command it to leave each and every person in this room. I I bind and rebuke depression. Every suicidal thought, Satan, I command you to silence your voice right now in Jesus' mighty name. God, I just ask for a special anointing to fall into this place, God. God, I ask that you would just start to move the hearts of people to forgive the same way that you forgave us, God. God, we release our bitterness to you right now, God. God, that you would help us to have a heart, God, that would love with compassion. God, we pray for every one of our family members that are still struggling with addiction. God, I cover my my brother Stephen in the blood of Jesus right now, God. God, I just ask, God, that you would just chase him, God, that right now, God, that you would smack him in his face wherever he's at, God, that he would fall to his knees, God, just just begging for forgiveness, God, because he knows you, God. God, you got a plan and a purpose for him, God, and I believe I declare and decree victory over his circumstance right now. I command every devil in sight to fall right now in Jesus' mighty name. And, God, we plead the blood of Jesus over each and every one of our children, God. God, I thank you that, you're, that they're your children, Before they were ours, God, no matter where they're at, no matter what they're going through, God, no matter what we don't have control of, God, we know that it's in your might, God, that it's by your power, God, that they will come to know you, God. And I just ask, Father, for you just to reveal yourself to them in a way that only you can reveal yourself. God, I thank you for my family. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my children. I thank you for my church family. I thank you for the people that serve here to make sure that people have a place to come to know God. God, I just ask for a fresh fire to fall on we are church right now, God. God, that we would have a boldness and a, and a courage to step out and just preach the gospel unashamedly, God. That we could stand before anybody and say the only person that can give us the freedom that we need is Jesus Christ. That he's the only way to the Father, God. And that we would have your heart to serve in compassion and love, God. I thank you, God, that some of us 
or the hand and some of us are the foot. God, I thank you that we can work together in unity to reach your people. God, not all of us are preachers and teachers and evangelists, God, but we all have certain gifts and talents that you want to use, God. And I thank you, Father, that you want to use a broken people to change this world. God, I bless each and every person in this room, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to challenge everybody in this room. We're getting ready to, to, to wrap up, but I want to challenge each and every person in this room, man. Invite somebody to come out. Like, man, God has a mission for us, man. And it's going to take us coming together as a church, man. Man, how beautiful would it be that if we could turn these 45 people into 90 over the next month before we actually get out and reach this community? You know what I mean? Invite somebody, man. This is a place where, man, people, we're, we're family, man. And that's our whole purpose, man. When people come through them doors, we, we hope they feel welcome. We hope they feel like family. We hope they feel safe. Man, if we can have 90 people or 100 people by the time we get to April 1st just to go out here and really turn this community upside down, that would be amazing, right? Like, where did these people come from, right? They just came out of nowhere, like, trying to change the world. Like, that's my desire. So, man, I, I really encourage you, please invite somebody to come out here. There's people that you know, people that's on your mind and in your heart right now that you know need God, that you know need to find some freedom in their life, man. Reach the people that don't even want to be reached. Like, aim for them. And even if you think they don't need church and they got it all together, bring them here. Like, I'm trying to lead Christians to Christ. You know what I mean? Like, for real. And, man, I'm just super grateful that y'all came out here. Man, I'm, I'm serious, man, because a lot of us got an idea of God, but we don't really know the heart of God. The heart of God is his children. Right? And if not, we're not out there trying to reach his children. We don't know the heart of God, man. It's not about sitting in this building, man. I'm ready to get out there and do some crazy stuff in this community. Right? Crazy faith believing that God is just going to turn this city upside down. And that's our, that's our motto. We are in this city for this city. Thank you for listening to this week's message from We Are Church. I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ. If you want to make We Are Church your home church or feel moved to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can join or give online at weareministries.com, and you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.